Well, hey there, everyone, and welcome back to Game Store Profits. This is episode number four. My name's Luke Navarro. And I'm Mike Perna. And this is the show where we say, can you be a geek and a god follower, too? We think we can. And, um, Mike, I know this week you've had some pretty geeky god-following experiences. Well, I gotta say, um, both of us kind of went on vacation. Yours was more of a family getaway kind of vacation. Very much so. Back home to visit the family. Mine was a missions trip to Boston. To we we worked with a, an organization called the Boston Project, and they are an amazing organization. I love these guys. Uh, as a church, we've been going for like three years now. This is the first time I've been able to go, and it's just it. it they basically take uh, a bunch of organizations and a bunch of just neighbors who, for one reason or another, uh, can't take care of certain uh, just certain basics. Things like taking care of their garden, fixing up their house, painting, you know, rooms and stuff like that. And the organizations range from homeless shelters and and uh, battered women's shelters and things like that. And they, they bring them all together. And they just have groups of kids come in every week in the summer. And they just send them out to take care of this stuff. To really bring out of this, this feeling of just being in a neighborhood and about the, being the body of Christ, serving other people, and really just reaching into the, the lives of people who, who really can't, for one reason or another, take care of it themselves. And I got to tell you, I was so proud of our kids. Uh, we took a record-breaking number of kids. This is the biggest group we ever took. We had 19 kids go up with us this year. And it was just an amazing time. I really saw a lot of growth in our kids. And they... Yeah, they kicked our butts. But there was one night when the the actual Boston Project staff needed to, you know, take care of business and take showers and things like that. And so they sent all of us into downtown Boston, kind of an, an evening of just hanging out and enjoying the city to kind of kind of get to know the city of Boston. I had never really been to Boston before, so I was really excited about it, especially because a couple of the kids who had gone in years past told me about this thing called Newberry Comics. Okay. Newberry Comics, apparently there's a bunch of them all over New England. I had no idea of this. I didn't um, even know there was such a thing as a chain comic book store. Apparently. There's at least more than one. I can say that. I don't know exactly how many there are. However, I did put on our Game Store Profits fan page, I did put that uh, Newberry Comics is now one of our favorite pages. Because okay. these because these, these guys are awesome. These guys are awesome. I actually talked to one of the, the people on staff there and I said, You need to work your way into New York, into the New York, New Jersey area because if you do, I will spend large quantities of money at your establishment. <laughs> I think that businessmen always like to hear that. To to give you a hint about at least what this I can't speak for all of them, but at least this one. It was three like two to three stories of comic books, general geekiness, gaming, movies, music. Yeah, all in one building. Novelty craziness. And it was, I, I literally found myself just staring at walls going, I've, I'm home. I've, I've, <laughs> this, this is Mecca. This is, I have found my haven. Because, and, and apparently, uh, I think last year, they, they, some of the kids told me that they went. And they said, 
oh, none of the leaders really wanted to spend time at, at Newberry Comics. I walked up to these kids and I'm like, guys, I swear to you, I swear to you right now, I will voluntarily spend large quantities of time in a giant comic book store. But part of the reason I bring this up especially is not only the geek factor, but it really gave me a chance to connect with these kids outside of the churchiness, which is always something that you want to do when you're in ministry. It's not just about the Bible study lesson. It's about, you know, sharing life with with the kids that you're working with. And so we were walking through the comic books and the kids are bringing me ones like, oh, have you read this? And we're, we're, we're looking through classics of comic book literature here. And we get to a whole shelf of nothing but Batman comics. And I got giddy because <laughs> while while I've always been more of a Marvel guy, Batman has always been one of my favorites. He's one of most people's favorites. So we're looking through and I'm checking out this. They had Hush and they had all these other things that I'm like, oh, this is great. I found a copy of the Sword of Azrael, which is a great. I love that section of the Batman story arc. And we're going through and I, I picked up the killing joke. The Killing Joke is one of the greatest Batman books ever. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say it's the greatest, but it's one of. And so I actually put it in the hand of one of our kids, and I said, I got to tell you, if you're ever looking to get into collecting comic books and you ever think that you really enjoy Batman, you need to own The Killing Joke. And I put it in his hand just figuring he'd look through it, but he was just drawn to it. And by the time we'd left the store, he had bought it. And taking the, the subway back to the church we were staying at, he was reading it. And I, I have to say that between playing around with these kids, there were, four, there were four guys that hung out with me. And just really connecting with these kids over just this absolutely geeky stuff. And just celebrating that geekiness with them and, and telling them it's, it's cool. And doing that in the context of a missions trip in the context of serving God and then taking this time out to be a geek, it was it was awesome. I, I obviously have countless stories about all the amazing things God did, all the great times serving with those kids, but there is definitely always going to be a special place in my heart in this trip for the time that we that I walked in there with four guys and we just geeked out at Newberry Comics. Very cool. Very cool. So, Luke, what, tell me about your family trip, man. I've heard bits and pieces of it. Well, you know, I actually, I live out in California, uh, in sort of north-central California, and I, but I grew up in southern California, and all, most of my family is still there. My wife and I, we, uh, we met in high school, so we grew up in the same town. Our families are in the same place. And so, of course, every year we uh, head down there during the summer, spend a couple weeks, let the kids hang out with the grandparents and the, the like. Uh, this time we did something a little bit different. We we decided to stay instead of staying with the grandparents. We stayed with my my brother and sister in law, and my brother in law in particular, though the whole family, but is a hardcore Disney nerd. Dude knows everything there is to know about Disney. Well, we went to Disneyland and uh, we went along with them. We we tend to go to Disneyland every time we're down there, and you know I was spending time in my absolute favorite spot in Disneyland. I love Adventureland. I love the Jungle Boats. I love uh, kind of the Indiana Jones vibe about the thing. The whole, you know, Dr. Livingstone and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, 
what's his face Stanley and yes. uh, I you know I just love that vibe and it was pretty cool to be there with somebody who knows Disneyland so well. He was able to tell me the whole history behind how like the Jungle Boat Cruise was created and and what the influences were and how they they went about making the ride how they actually wanted it to be a live animal ride huh. at first but of course that didn't work out because none of the animals would perform the way Walt Disney wanted it to perform Man, never work a, with animals and children never, never work, work with, with animals, animals and, children. and children and uh, so yeah just a huge amount of fun I also got to uh, take one day while I was down there to work with the company that uh, I'm doing some story editing for right now a pretty cool Christian adventure story company and uh, so yeah it was a it was a good trip a good trip but we're glad to be home really finishing up summer here uh, my kids go back to school next week and you know a lot of things are coming back next week mm-hmm. not just school but a, a few key television shows <laughs> one of which we decided we would talk about for our theme today for there game was, store profits there was no way there is no now. Granted, by the time this gets edited and everything like that, it will have been aired. But there was no way that we could be meeting together, recording this episode the day before the Doctor comes back, and not talk about Doctor Who. There's I love no Doctor way. Who. One of my, I, I sort of pride myself on my home entertainment venue. The one thing that makes me crazy. I don't have BBC America in HD. Oh, Drives that's upsetting. me crazy. I have to watch this grainy, pathetic, 1980s-looking <laughs> Doctor Who. Oh. But there is a possibility, Mike, that some folks listening to this show maybe don't have that connection with Doctor Who that you and I have. It's so possible. Why, why don't you give a go toward explaining what Doctor Who is all about? Oh, you're going to pass the explaining yes, Doctor Who off on me. <laughs> how, how do you begin to explain the Doctor? I've often, my, my girlfriend, I, I told her, I had just been, just been hanging out with my girlfriend. We had a lovely dinner with a bunch of her friends. And I, I told her, I go, I'm excited because I get to go home. And I get to talk to Luke about the Doctor. And she, and she looked at me and said, I've never seen Doctor Who. And there was a moment of absolute sadness, and I had to, I, and realizing that I had to determine out of sheer will to fix this problem. But I, I tried to come up with some kind of explanation for the doctor, and really, there's no other explanation than to just talk about the basic elements of this story. Doctor Who, the, the complete story revolves around this ever-changing character called the Doctor. You will never hear his actual name. In fact, you will find out that the Doctor is not alone in having these weird enigmatic names. That he is one of many people that used to be on this planet called Gallifrey. And Gallifrey kind of got destroyed. The Doctor is the last of these people called Time Lords. And all of them had these weird enigmatic names. And they were just, they're amazing, time-traveling, almost super powerful. But not in like a comic Superman. book kind of no not not like a comic book kind of super powerful i'm talking uh the one of the best descriptions i ever heard was actually on a special that bbc america did about the doctor 
And somebody was describing the fact that every once in a while he'd just get this look when you'd realize that he is always the smartest man in the room. Right. And that's the doctor. The doctor has this this wonderful little device called the TARDIS. Uh, TARDIS standing for time and relative dimension in space. Dork. At one. Oh, I know. Oh, trust me, I could go. I knew it was I'm too. Gonna, it's fine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep going. The TARDIS apparently, when it was early on, before you actually get to the Doctor Who show, the TARDIS had the ability to camouflage itself to to match whatever surroundings it in. However, that part broke, and so the TARDIS is now locked in into the shape of an old school British police box. A blue police box. A bright blue police box. And if if you don't know what we're talking about, if you've never seen Doctor Who, all you have to do is go on the internet to your search engine of choice and type in TARDIS, T-A-R-D-I-S, and you will see countless images. The TARDIS has become an icon unto itself. In fact, in this, this past season, the TARDIS actually finally got a voice. Written, the episode that I'm talking about was written by Neil Gaiman. And it was. Because... All my geek universes came together in that episode. Uh, but yeah, so basically the, the, the Doctor goes around pretty much fixing the universe. And he always has with him a companion or two. Sometimes he has two or three companions, but there's always one companion. It is almost always a beautiful woman. And he just goes around fixing problems. At its core, the terminology that I would use to talk about Doctor Who would be to call it a monster of the week every week there's a new episode less becoming less there's much more overarching story yeah but but i think it's always had a serial thing happening so we have it's more like monster of of the six episodes or monster of the two episodes kind of you have you have certain you, you have certain guys who will always make appearances there are guys who are very iconic uh in fact i was just uh i watched a special because, yes, I DVR the Doctor. There's like 30 episodes on my I DVR I haven't seen right the now. specials yet. The best of the Doctor and the best of yes, the monsters. They ha- they've been running, in, in preparations for the upcoming season, they've been running all these special things, like the best of the Doctor and the best of the, the best of the monsters was my favorite one to watch. And what somebody brought up is the fact that, and I had forgotten this, but there were these creatures, these lizard, like lizard men, called the Silurians. Yeah. This was not the first time we saw the Silurians. Really? No, old school. If you, I'm on the Doctor Who website right now, and if you go on to the monsters, they actually have a gallery of old school Silurians with the new ones. And you can see the old school, like, straight out of the 70s, really bad but really trying Silurians. And I forgot that they had been around for a long time, and I'm excited that, that, uh, there's a history to this. One thing that I didn't mention when talking about the general nature of the Doctor, the Doctor, how long is it? It's, it was either in the, six, the 60s or 70s or maybe even earlier. Since the show's been on? Yeah. Uh, it for, started I, in, I think, 63. Yeah, it, okay, is, it is, by the way, the longest running science fiction show ever. It That sounds about right. The way they can do this is, is that... that Time Lords have this ability to literally change themselves. Whenever they need a new actor. Whenever whenever uh, a Time Lord's body becomes unusable or old or... This seems like a very cheesy thing. But it's not. But it's not. not. It's not. 
the coolest thing about it is is that they actually work it into the plot line that a doctor is literally reborn. Right. There's they eventually come into old memories from past doctors, but really each doctor has it, his own personality. And if if you're a person who's watched from the very beginning, you've seen this multiple multiple made basically multiple personalities of the doctor. So, Luke, before we go any further, I do want to to bring that up. That was something that I wanted to make sure that we talked about because we've you and I have both been watching the doctor for a lot of years. And so I got to ask, I'm going to ask the horrible question. Well, I'm going to ask the easy question first and then move on to the horrible question. All right. The, e- the easy question is what was your, what doctor was your first doctor? Oh, the first doctor. Um, let's see. We're on 11 now. So nine. Really? Yeah. I'm surprised by this. See, here's the thing is I didn't have BBC. This ah. was not something I had access to. and. It wasn't until the era of ubiquity of TV on DVDs that I got to know about the Doctor. So I I remember very vividly how it came about. We had just finished, my wife and I had just finished the power run on Stargate SG-1. And we had gone through, I don't know, however many seasons of that there were. And we were looking... For something else to watch. And it came down to. Babylon 5. Or Doctor Who. And I just sort of. Willy nilly randomly decided. Doctor Who. And it worked out. That at about that point. Or just a few years before that. The Doctor Who franchise had been rebooted. Into its most. It's modern incarnation. Yes the Doctors that we know. That, that most people. Because I hang out with my, my teenagers, and my teenagers love the Doctor. And they most of them came in with the ninth or the 10th Doctor. Right, so I came in with the ninth Doctor, and then have since gone back and watched some of the DVDs of the older episodes, which you can't actually watch all of them. There's a whole lot of them gone, just erased into the history of time. And that's terrible. And that sucks. There are, there's audio for every single episode. But the video is gone for, I think, like 109, 110 uh, episodes, which just goes to point out that there's a lot of these. Uh, in fact, I, I just heard kind of a weird little thing that this last episode, uh, the one that aired just prior to going on the season mid-season break, was episode 777. Nice. So, I, I think, you know... Fairly appropriate to be talking about on a show where geek and god come together. That the the most recent episode is number seven hundred seventy seven, and number seven hundred seventy seven was quite the episode. Yes. So a little warning. Should have done this at the beginning. We haven't said anything off yet. This is a spoiler rich environment. We cannot hold our tongues. <laughs> we cannot do it. I I hate spoilers, but I have to talk about. The Doctor and this last episode called A Good Man Goes to War. Uh, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So, all right. What was, the, time, what was the hard question? What was the easy question? There, there you go. The uh, hard doctor question. Number the hard question. nine. We are, we are on the 11th Doctor. That there have are. been 11 wonderfully quirky, incredibly talented men who have portrayed the Doctor in various ways. Who, Luke Navarro, 
is your favorite Doctor. All right, so now the ninth Doctor is Christopher Eccleston, the tenth Doctor David Tennant, the eleventh mm-hmm. Doctor Matt Smith. Those are the ones who I've seen every single episode on. I've obsessed over it. I've seen William Hartnell because, of course, I went back and watched the first episodes. Mm-hmm. I've seen Tom Baker because most of the time, I think when people think of the Doctor that aren't thinking about the new incarnation, it's Tom Baker. Yeah, he, he was the Doctor for like the longest, longest time. But the truth is, those are really, really old. He was literally the Doctor when I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've watched him, and I, I kind of like the historical vibe of that. But yeah, here we go. Christopher Eccleston was for me the first Doctor, so I have a soft spot in my heart for him. That said, David Tennant. He is. I know that's in my it's, own. It's cliche. In my own, no, I, I will say in my own kind of survey of Doctor Whovians that I've I've talked to. Yeah, David Tennant is by far the most popular Doctor. But I will tell you this. Matt Smith, I sometimes forget that he hasn't always been the Doctor. Mm-hmm. And that's what's amazing about this show. It's, it's one of the things that I love so much about this show. Is, and, and not so much, I mean, Matt Smith, uh, he, he admitted to the fact that he had basically never seen Doctor Who when he came to do this show. David Tennant was a Doctor Who freak. Oh, yeah. Uh, is a Doctor Who freak, I imagine. But the people who make this show... Right, when you think about other long-running science fiction-y shows, when you think about uh, Next Generation, when you think about Stargate, most of those shows were written sort of by committee. Yes, there were a few writers who, who kind of wrote often, but, but for the most part, it was just, they'd go out, they'd find writers, they'd write some episodes, and there you go. And certainly it is the case that Doctor Who has a number of writers. But the writers who steer the ship are absolutely, I mean, they are dealing with canon. They are, this, they care about this stuff. They're not just making shows to make it interesting. They are the curators of a legacy, and they treat well, it that way. And when, when you get to the point of, of something as epic as Doctor Who, I mean, every, every writer, if they're not passionate about writing Doctor Who, you realize the kind of fanboy nastiness just the horrible vitriol that would spill across the internet if if somebody messed with the doctor well and you it it works because you almost never get a bad episode of doctor who there were plenty of bad episodes in next generation I think, you, you know... I, you I said think that. You, I didn't. Send your hate mail, too. <laughs> uh, why does everybody think I hate Star Trek? Uh, I've gotten so much smack on Guys Can Read I, no, for hating I know Star you, Trek. I, 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 I know you have. That's what I'm saying. I've never, People, no, I love the reason, Star Trek. I collect Star Trek toys. <laughs> no, see, that's the thing. I know you do. I know that, and you know that. But there is a whole the, world... The internet clearly fandom. does not. They don't. <laughs> when fandom... When you get to that level of being a fan of that kind of caliber, you have what you have truth, and if someone strays from that truth, they are evil. And curse you, smoked. George Lucas! Curse you! Uh, but yeah, so I think that's one of the great things about this show. And people have often asked me, like, where do I have to jump in? Where do I jump in? And, and I just tell them, you know, start with 2005, start with uh, the beginning of the reboot. But it doesn't matter. You could pick up Doctor Who anywhere, and you'd be okay, because they're there, really there might be some, of the story. 
Yeah, there might be some details you're a little fuzzy on, but you can still get through. Yeah. All right, so uh, I will turn the questions back on you. Who was your first doctor? My first doctor, he's already been mentioned, Tom Baker. All right. So you grew Tom, up with Doctor Who. I, I Unless you're a 63-year-old man, which I see, don't think you the, are. No. And if you are, thing, you look dang good. <laughs> the... I, I the the funny thing about it is is that I was born in 1980. Tom Baker was the doctor until 81. Right. I'm not saying that I vividly remember the new episodes when Tom Baker was new because I'm looking at at his thing on the website right now. It's he was the doctor from 1974 to 1981. What I remember about Tom Baker as the doctor and why he became for a lot of years he was the doctor for me was the fact that I used to watch it with my grandfather. Okay, so it was grandpa. My grandfather never missed the doctor. If I showed up to their house... That's good genes. If I showed up and the doctor was on, I sat there and Pop and I watched the doctor. And so I learned at a very young age to understand the kind of fear that comes when you hear about the Daleks. I've I've learned from a very young age that, you know, Cybermen suck. <laughs> I've I've been imparted with this from forever. So what I so there's always a part of me that's go when I like like you said, the people who think of when you think of the doctor, unless you came in later on, if you if you came in with the ninth doctor, this isn't your thought. But if you've been with it for a while, Tom Baker is the definitive doctor. And he always will be for me. He was the first doctor in my mind. He he just had this really cool attitude about him. He had the most epic scarf on the planet. And scarves are scarves cool. Scarves are cool. Bow ties are, bow ties as and are bow ties. Naturally. And Stetsons. But, I, and, and, and it's kind of unfair to other doctors for me, my, my initial gut thing with Tom Baker, because it took me a while to warm up to the fifth doctor. Because I had such a passionate love for Tom Baker's Doctor. And the fifth Doctor is nothing like the fourth Doctor. And so it took me a while. But, I, in all fairness, I will answer the second question. Alright, who's your favorite? You want to talk about fanboy problems. I'm about to cause a hornet's nest. There will be a bunch of people who will say, yes, we agree with you, he is awesome. But I think the overwhelming majority will say that he has ruined the Doctor. I'm a fan of the 11th Doctor. I'm a fan of Matt Smith's Doctor. Who would say he's ruined the Doctor? I've had conversations with people who are like, eh, they put up with him because it's the Doctor. I know a lot of people who are just basically waiting for the next Doctor because they don't like Matt Smith's Doctor. Yeah, see, I totally disagree. I do too. (laughs) He is my favorite Doctor. He has shown... Uh, he is just an absolutely brilliant in the way he, he interacts with the other characters. Uh, I love the fact, part of it, I will allow, part of it is the writing. Because there's a different angle to the Doctor that has only been showing up in the 10th and the 11th Doctor. Well, and I think that's important to understand that this, the Doctor has this history, but there's been a major, major change in the last... What do you say? Two, three years? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, even even when you start watching things like A Good Man Goes to War, there's there's a line where the doctor just gets furious and he starts screaming at people. And then he goes, sorry, 
anger. I'm feeling anger. This is a new thing. Right. Because the doctor has always been calm. He has always been, you know, resolute and, and, and firm well, in his, uh, uh, his, his ideals, but he's always been kind of just, all right, we're going to get through this, and this is going to happen, and we're going to do this, and if we do this, then this happens. To get righteously upset has not been a part of past doctors. And yet he's always had this history. So some of the backstory to the doctor. At some point along the line of the story, uh, the doctor sort of goes rogue accidentally. <laughs> he, he uh, in Star Trek parlance, breaks the prime directive. This is a long, long time ago. Uh, but during the story, this is maybe, what, second doctor? Somewhere in there, third doctor? Yeah, it's early and on. It's early. And it's unfortunately, it's the part of the story nobody can watch because it's gone. Yeah. But he kind of goes rogue. And he begins to sort of be separated from the rest of his Time Lord brethren. Along the way, a war begins. The Great Time War between the Daleks and the Time Lords. We don't know. I, I don't know too much about this. Uh, but I know how the war ends. And the war ends by the Doctor having to make the choice to destroy them both. The Daleks and his own people. And so we now, the Doctor we have now is the last of the Time Lords. He is ancient and he carries with him the weight of this, this thing that he did. This destruction that he wrought. And because of that, the Doctor is never okay. He is the most powerful being on the planet, in the universe. He is the most intelligent, but he's never really okay. Well, they actually, in, in one of the, the more interesting episodes that I think I've seen in the last couple, in the last season or so, they had this little guy show up and he was, he started referring to himself as the Dream Lord. And right. here's one of those times where I'm going to use River Song's favorite line. Spoilers. <laughs> the 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 dream lord you find out is actually a manifestation of the darkness that lives inside right. the doctor. And if you watch and He's a mean mother. Yeah. I'll tell you. You watch this episode and as a I've seen it a handful of times and the first time I'm like that's awesome. And then the second time I watched it again knowing that that's what happens. Knowing the whole time I'm watching this that this is the dark side of the doctor. And I have to say it is genius because this man is troubled and he knows it and there's a lot that he, that that people do not see because he hides it because if he lets that darkness right. out the world the, the universe is going to explode well and there's a line in the final episode of the before the mid-season break where the doctor says to his opponent don't make me show you why all of these people fear me yeah and, and the, the episode the the conceit of a good man goes to war is that Amy Pond has been kidnapped. We haven't talked about companions yet, Mike. We need to talk we, about that. We're going we're gonna to hit them. There's so much to talk about. <laughs> we've got to talk fast, man. <laughs> we're going to run out of time. Um, and uh, he calls in the favors of everybody that he could basically at one point have destroyed, but he let them go. He let them be. He helped them understand Maybe the errors of the ways, or maybe he just scared them off, or whatever the case might be. And so he has this huge army of of uh, aliens and elite soldiers and all this this kind of thing behind him when he goes to rescue Amy Pond. And basically he says to his opponent, don't make me show you why they're all afraid of me. 
I think that another episode we can refer to, man, is, is an episode called the Pandorica. I'm about to say, if we, if we don't talk about the Pandorica in this part of the conversation, we you are, know, we are course, doing a disservice. Of course, I'm screaming at the TV. You fool, it's for you. It's for you. <laughs> and, uh, the, 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 that story was about, uh, the doctor finds this box and it is essentially the ultimate jail. And it's beginning to open, and he wants to know what's inside, because what is it that you put inside the ultimate jail? Only the most powerful being on the, in the universe, only the thing that most needs to be, the world most needs protecting from. And ultimately it opens, and of course, who is inside? Well, he's going to be. And so this is who the Doctor is. Uh, he doesn't ever carry a weapon. He does he have doesn't... his sonic screwdriver. Yeah, and that's not a weapon. It's a tool. <laughs> and yet he is, without a doubt, the most destructive, most dangerous person around. And he knows that. And he has to deal with it. And I think, I hope, I think, either redemption or judgment is coming. Oh, yeah. And it's coming soon. Well, I'm really curious to see what happens. And you, can, you know which episode I'm talking about. Because when you're dealing with time travel, there's all sorts of weird. This is true. <laughs> it's very difficult to follow Doctor it, Who. It's hard. Honest. It's hard because you'll have moments like he'll go back in the past, but at the same point, you'll realize, oh, hey, when you talked to me in the past, you were holding a mop and had a fez on your head. So he has to grab the mop to go back in time so that he has the mop when he talks to them in the past. Like, this is the kind of stuff you deal with when you're dealing with the Doctor. Right. There's. One episode that kind of... First episode of the season. And it, in the middle of the episode, the doctor gets shot. And dies. And dies. Dies, dies. Not doctor dies. Doesn't, dies, dies. Doesn't have time to reform himself. He dies. And... This is not, uh, this is not acceptable. And all the other... All the, all the characters that are involved in the story are going, this can't happen, this can't happen, this can't happen. And all the people watching it at home are going, this can't happen, this can't happen, this can't happen. But it's still there. It's still something that they witnessed. And what you realize in Doctor Who is that every once in a while, somebody will say, well, we can just change this. But like, there's an episode where they go to Pompeii and, and his companion looks at him and says, says, no, we can tell everybody. We can get them out of here and save you know, so many lives. And the doctor goes, we can't do that. This has to happen. The, the idea is that there are fixed moments in time and space. Things that can't change. Some things can, but there are fixed moments. And, and as a time lord, he understands that. We don't. There may be something a little bit spiritual there, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, and so the question is, is this moment changeable? I hope so, because that would really be negative for the show if it's not. But uh, we could go into the details of the upcoming season, or the season that was uh, that is halfway through. But before we do, I, I want to take a little bit of an aside to talk about the human. The Doctor is an all-powerful being from a faraway planet called Gallifrey. But he always travels with companions. And it really is the companions through whom the story happens. We, we look at it and say, okay, the Doctor is the main character. Ah, I mean, the show is named after him, right? Yeah. But the story really is the companion story. 
Well, you you have you can't you have to bring the companions into the Doctor's story because every once in a while you have to realize that that humanity is not the only species that the Doctor deals with. Countless alien races deal with the Doctor on a daily basis. However, the Doctor, through his history, has always had a special place in his heart for humanity. Right. He has always come back and he will always defend humanity against anyone that comes against them because they have found like a special place in his heart just because of our ability to survive. That's something that he brings up a lot, is just no matter how much you put humanity down, we always have the ability to survive. Alright, so, big question. Rose, Amy Pond, or Donna Noble? Oh, that, oh, see, this is you getting back from me suggesting the whole which is your favorite doctor question. Yeah, it is a little bit, and this one's harder. This one is harder. There's so, I mean, there's so many great companions. This is just the, these are just the most recent companions there have been just the, the companions since the reboot there have been just such an amazing litany of wonderful companions in the history of the doctor's reign but i do have to say uh it's really see i like rose i i think outside of the other character rose is a good solid character and i like her but she for me she's just missing that that something that would make her my favorite I forgot about Martha. Martha's always been, also been here since. What's it called? I will say that, oh, it's, it's going to be between Amy and Donna, and I'm, I'm really going back and forth. Uh, I think Amy Pond is going to win. I, I, I like just the... I'm going to cheat even farther. Uh, what are you doing now? I'm going to say Donna, but Donna gets beaten by the Amy-Rory combo. <laughs> the, the Amy-Rory combo. I'm starting to like Rory. No, there are ha- there are actually organizations, like well, organizations of people on the internet who have gotten to like like signed petitions to say you know they've banded together in organizations a- against the writers of Doctor Who, like like women against the unethical treatment of Rory or something like that, just because people are so upset that he keeps dying all the time. <laughs> All right, we will have to explain that to anybody who doesn't know about the Doctor in in his most recent thing. Rory is Amy Pond's significant other. The Amy Pond, oh, the Amy Pond storyline. When Amy first goes with the Amy Doctor, Pond storyline is crazy. Oh, it really is. Uh, we could spend another hour above and beyond this podcast talking just about the Amy Pond storyline. But um, Rory is. It, when when it first when her storyline first starts, he's her fiance, and as the course of things happen, he is now her husband. But Rory has this nasty tendency to die a lot. He dies in dreams. He dies in weird mind manipulations. He he dies in lots of situations, and then he comes back. He comes back, and now he's like a cyborg who likes to dress up as a Roman centurion. And if you've ever watched The Doctor, you realize that's not so hard to understand. <laughs> no, in fact, they've turned Rory into archetype, if yes. you will. Yes, most He has definitely. become the last centurion. Yes. And I think that's awesome. And I think it also says something about The Doctor, right? Because they, they've played off this sort of question all along the way. Does Amy really love Rory, or does Amy love The Doctor? Or does he love and The yet, Doctor? 
And yet, as they every single time they play out this storyline, they're almost messing with us. Like, we want that storyline to play out, but there's no chance in the world it ever would. And when they first started doing it, it was major parts of episodes, and now it's just like, eh, it's there. And it's a, it's a little line here, a little line there, where we're all like, oh, maybe it's the Doctor's baby. No, it's not. It's not. They're just messing with us. And But that's what's significant about the Doctor. The Doctor has this relationships with his companions that is profound. Oh, it is you- deep, it is love, but it's not romance. All you have most to, of all the you time. have to see to see that in its purest form in my opinion is to see when the 10th doctor says goodbye to Rose. Uh, well, that's you watch you know, that I'm episode. crying at yeah. this point. No. <laughs> you and I are both grown men fully settled in the fact that we are manly individuals and I'm I'm not I will I'm not too proud to say that I bawled like a baby when I saw that episode. It was masterfully done. And it shows you just the kind of deep love that the Doctor had and has for Rose. Right. All right, before we we run out of time, I I, I do want to stop and I do want to talk about the kinds of stories that you get from Doctor Who. I mean, we've talked a lot about the characters. We love the characters. We're crazy about the characters. But I want to talk a little bit about the stories and what happens in these stories. Mm Mm-hmm. So a couple of things that come to mind for me when I think about Doctor Who. I would say Doctor Who is the most frightening show on television. Oh, yeah. It's not horror. It's not jump scares. It's full-on dark psychological examinations of evil. And not just evil, but also dark psychological uh, examinations of fear. I don't know any show that explores fear and the kinds of well, fears that we have in childhood, the things that, that, that play with the back of our brains just think, just than Doctor think of, Who. Yeah, just think about the different monsters that we've seen. I mean, throughout the history of the Doctor, but especially in this, these new, more modern renditions of the Doctor, when you start bringing things like the Weeping Angels... The Weeping Angels are creepy! <laughs> the Weeping Angels, for, for the uninitiated, are basically aliens that look like statues. Think very gothic structures, the kind of things that you see in fountains and on churches. And every time, as long as you're looking at them, they're statues. The minute you blink, the minute, and, and anybody who's watched Doctor Who for more than an episode can, can tell you the horrible gut-wrenching sound that is, don't blink. Because the minute you blink, they move. And they move faster than you can ever think. I mean, that's awful! That is. You literally can't stop watching them, but if you, if, ah, it, oh, it's horrible. Horrible. I hate the and weeping there angels. There are, I love there the are so the many angels. of these kind of monsters that are, that really just sort of say, we are, we are picking one weirdness. <laughs> well, it, you can't, you, you can't not talk about the Daleks here. Well, okay. The Daleks. The Daleks are evil. Pure, unadulterated evil. Their sole, chaos and evil. Their sole purpose in existence is to wipe the universe clean. They are psychotic, and there is no reasoning with a Dalek. The Dalek's sole purpose is to kill you. And, you know, though I actually think the Daleks, there's a reason why they haven't shown up quite as much lately. Oh, what's that? They're, kind of, I, they, they're a little too monolithic for the new 
Doctor Who writers. I think even the Cybermen provide a more nuanced enemy. I, I'll, I'll buy that. I can see it. But at the same point, that they're, you're never going to have a Doctor Who without the Daleks. There's never going to be a Doctor Who universe no. that doesn't have the Daleks in it. And we wouldn't want them to be. We wouldn't want there to be. All right. I'm realizing as we're, as our time's going by that we need to do what we always do on the show, which is start out being incredibly geeky and then bring that geekiness into our faith. And there's so much to bring up when you come to the doctor. We've already hinted at some of it, just the, the idea that there are, there are some aspects of just our history, the history of the universe that are fixed. And even if you had the ability to go back and try to change them, you can't. Every time I hear one of the Doctor's companions or the Doctor's friends screaming out, saying, where is the Doctor? Mm -hmm. Why isn't he here? I think that's what God hears. Oh, yeah. And the Doctor, sometimes you see the pain on his face when you know he can't do anything about it. Not because he doesn't have the power to, but because there's just simply nothing to be done. Not because he's not smart enough or can't figure it out. Because that's the way it's going to have to be. And there's there's an aspect there there's an aspect of faith that shows up in the companions, especially when you're seeing the doctor, because there there is fear, there is doubt. There's the he's cutting it awfully close this time, but at the same point, there's always that that underlying knowledge that the doctor will show up, the doctor will arrive, and he will fix this. Right. I think the show also brings a really good meditation on judgment. Ooh, you know, judgment, I think, is one of the trickier issues that anybody who is a believer deals with. Anytime you have that question, when somebody you know loses somebody, somebody you know who's not a believer loses somebody, and they come and they ask you at a time when they're still in pain, do you really believe this person is in hell today? <laughs> and we all recognize that judgment is a very hard issue to deal with. It is popular right now. It is a, a an in vogue controversy in the church at this very moment. Books are being written left, right, and sideways. Books are being written left, right, and backwards. But I think Doctor Who actually plays a very good role in understanding judgment. You know, I, I think of scenes where the Doctor has given his opponents every opportunity because he doesn't want them to die. All he wants is for them to stop hurting whoever they're hurting. Mm -hmm. All he wants for them is to just stop fighting and go home. But there are, I'd say more often than not, opponents that refuse. And you see, and I I think specifically uh, of the Tenth Doctor, there was a scene in which, I I can't remember the name of the opponent. It was in an underground kind of environment, and she was a mother. Kind of a giant spiderish looking thing. Uh Uh-huh. I know who you're talking about. And he wants so desperately for her to just be at peace. But she refuses. And you see this switch in David Tennant's face. Yeah. Where he goes from being mournful and just heartbroken to radically destructive. And his companion at the time is Donna Noble. Donna freaks out because she she doesn't know who this doctor is. And there is this moment where... Basically, you see him bathed in fire, bringing down wrath. And, you know, whether that we we can attribute that to God or not, I'll admit to the ongoing debate 
I'm okay with that. But that imagery for me was powerful. Oh yeah, you, and, and not only that, it's it's really the first time, at least in in my experience of watching the Doctor, that you see that a little bit of that darkness that lives in the Doctor. He doesn't let that play all that often, but in that scene, you're just like, well, I think that's why so many people, if there is a controversy between David Tennant and Matt Smith, I think that's what it is. Is that David Tennant was the first Doctor to show you his wrath. Mm -hmm. And he went psycho. Yeah. At times. You see it when David Tennant, uh, when David Tennant's doctor is dealing with Davros. You see Mm -hmm. it when he was dealing with uh, the master. Uh, You see it when he's dealing with some of these other sort of monster of the week monsters. And Matt Smith, he's happy go lucky. He's, (laughs) and, and, and I really do see him as, reeling from his experience as the 10th doctor mm. and wishing that 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 experience wasn't there wishing that he could just go back out and have fun again well, i mean the very well, the very first thing you see of of matt smith's doctor is him going into the kitchen with amy pond who at the time is still a kid and he's trying to figure out what his favorite <laughs> foods are and there's this truly magnificent moment when he goes fish fingers and custard fish fingers and custard man and for those of you on, on this side of the pond with us, fish fingers are basically fish sticks. Custard is pretty much pudding. vanilla yogurt. Yeah, vanilla pudding. Um, did you ever see the Graham Norton special? I did. Where David Tennant is there and what somebody and uh, Graham Norton brings him fish fingers fish and custard? Fish fingers and custard. Not David Tennant. Uh, Matt, Matt Smith is Smith. there and uh, Graham Norton brings him fish fi- fingers and custard and he tries it and he likes it. <laughs> Okay, that's kind of awesome. That's fantastic, but it shows you just—it shows you how the same, the same person, the same, the same person can have that kind of dark, foreboding, world-ending kind of judgment, and at the same time has this very whimsical. I feel like eating fish fingers and custard. Well, and I think what's interesting is that that experience, that darkness, is coming back to the Matt Smith Doctor, mm-hmm. but it's coming for a different reason. The David Tennant Doctor wanted to finish it. He believed that he could end the conflict forever. Right. The Matt Smith Doctor is not driven by that. The Matt Smith Doctor is driven by his love for his friends. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the fact that, that at the beginning of this season we see him die, and then we see all of his actions happening because he is driven by this love for his friend. Now look, there's no way that you come along and say Doctor Who is a Christian show. No, not at all. However, great storytelling is always an echo of the great story. Always. And we see in Doctor Who, just like you might see in Lord of the Rings, or just like you might see in The Matrix, or just like you might see in Star Wars, we see in Doctor Who all of these psychological, emotional, spiritual hooks that remind us of the great story. Right, and before anybody would try to... Because I, I always hate the fact that people try to make direct connections with the Lord of the Rings and the Gospel. Because Tolkien hated allegory. In fact, Tolkien's main nastiness about C.S. Lewis... Now, they were the best of friends, but he would always yell at C.S. Lewis for writing allegory. He said it was lazy storytelling. It's not a one-to-one. Before anybody would... Because we've already made some things like, wow, the personality of, of who the Doctor is has a lot to do with 
of pictures of who God is. There are some very key differences, especially in this fact. There is an episode where the doctor goes, he, he goes into this space station where he remembers seeing articles about every member of this space, of this space station dying. And not to go into the whole episode because we're trying to wrap up here, but he tries. He's like, I'm sick of having people die. And so he saves them. He takes them out of there and he brings them home. And he's like, I'm not going to let you die. The one woman who finds out that, that her death causes future generations of her family to go into space travel, to plunge deeper into the, the depths of space, she doesn't want to be saved. She walks into her house, and all you hear is the gunshot. And David Tennant crumbles in the middle of the street because he couldn't stop her. Right. There was no way that he could stop her from dying in this incident. In this incident. It might have been different than the past was, but he discovered that he was just he was powerless to change it. She still ended up dead. And it just to think of something beyond the doctor. If you were to act, if the doctor were real, the, the, the idea of to think of something beyond the doctor is it's folly. I can't think of anything beyond the doctor. But you realize that even this, this, this Time Lord, this ruler of all space and time, there is something beyond him. There are things that he cannot change no matter how desperately he wants to. And Stuff like that makes me ponder the fact that as great as the Doctor is, there is something beyond him. And I think that's where God lives. I think God lives in those situations that even even the greatest thing we could come up with is it's beyond. There are things that are beyond him. Well, I think Doctor Who is great storytelling. And it's an incredible world, great characters. But when it comes right down to it, it's great storytelling. There's, there's no yeah. doubt. And anytime you can experience the kind of depth and fun that Doctor Who brings, because I mean, it's a great fun show to watch. Uh, you are doing the things that we promote on this show. Mm-hmm. By saying the things we love point us to God. And Doctor Who points me to God all the time. There are times that I don't want to watch Doctor Who. Because I know it's too heavy. It's too much for me to handle on that particular day. And, you know, it is a great show. I can't wait for the episode tomorrow and for the rest of the season to unfold. I have to know who's in the spacesuit. And, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, for me, it's, I think it's my favorite TV show. And I, I imagine you probably say the same. Uh, I, I would say that favorite is definitely a possibility. If you wanted to go with a safe estimate, I might go as far as top three, but I wouldn't go any farther than that. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, folks, we, we encourage you to get out there. If you've not watched Doctor Who, what do you say, Mike? Where do you start? Oh, my God. I would say pick a point and go. Uh, okay. I, I would say as far as getting a, a basic grasp on the story of Doctor Who, uh, I've been... As we've been talking, I've been playing around on uh, the BBC's Doctor Who website. There's a lot of great information on there, including uh, a lot of the history. There's a whole page where you can go into the history of the eight Doctors before the modern era Doctors. Um, 
it it's a lot of great information here. It's a lot of good places to kind of give you the overview. But really, there's no other way to get into the Doctor than to experience it. To sit down with some episodes and just go. Uh, try and get as many Doctors as you can, but at some point, just pick one and run with it. Experience the monsters. Experience the the characters. You'll you'll before long you will you will discover your own favorite doctor. Huh? Good advice, Mike. How can folks find out more about you? Uh, let's see. Uh, provided I survive, Irene. Uh, <laughs> you can find me all over the internet. Uh, I'm on Tinkerverse.wordpress.com. I haven't updated it in a woefully long time, and one of my still longtime fans is yelling at me. Sorry, Vesper. Um, <laughs> I haven't updated it in a long time, uh, but it's still there. I, I'm also on Twitter. If you want to find me, it's Shadow of Cyrano. If you want to find more about my writing and things like that, it is Von Clockwork. And of course, I'm trying to get people to follow uh, our the Game Store Profits has our own Twitter. It is GS Profits. So find me at any one of those places. Luke, what about yourself? You can find me on my blog at 52weeksofgeek.com. 52 Weeks of Geek actually started out last year as an insane project to read 52 books, watch 52 movies, and play 52 video games in one year. So if you're interested in that, you can go back, you can kind of read through and watch that whole experience. And be impressed by the fact that he did it. I did do it. With a few days to spare, as it happens. <laughs> However, I didn't do it again, because I'm not <laughs> insane. And so now 52 Weeks of Geek. It's just my spot on the internet where I talk about the things that I, I love. Uh, I'll be taking a, uh, a championship barbecue course coming up here. Now you can bet there'll be plenty of information about that uh, on my website. And you can also follow the other podcasts that I host at guyscanread.com. Two dudes talking about books. Uh, really, in a way, similar to how we talked about Doctor Who today, in fact. And you can find out more about this show by going to GameStoreProfits.com or you can head over to Facebook. We are so tantalizingly close to the 25, what are they called, fans, fans. that we need to uh, to be able to get Facebook.com slash GameStoreProfits. But for now, you got to go to Facebook, you got to search for GameStoreProfits, like it, come on by. We post information about the geeky things that we're doing. I, we invite you to do the same. I, tell us about I, I what's will, going I will, on. I will tell you this right now. As soon as we get done with this, I'm going to pay, to paste up on our fan page a YouTube video that is amazing. It's called Doctor Who Kid. It is a small child who, for show and tell, memorized the monologue that the Doctor gives to all the aliens about the Pandorica. It is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life, and I will be posting it up on our fan page. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. So that's at Facebook. Search for Game Store Profits. We've got lots of other places that you can find us. We want you to come play with us. Uh, we're going to be having a guild in the Old Republic as soon as that game comes out. Soon! We, uh, uh, we, you can find us on Xbox Live. You can find us on Steam. All that information is at GameStoreProfits.com. Thank you so much for being with us. We invite you to come back next time. But until then, just a little reminder. That God is the game master, and no matter how the dice fall, the game plays.